0: Welcome to the Wine Access Unfiltered Podcast. I am your host, Amanda McCrossin, here with Vanessa Conlon and friends today. Vanessa, we are not alone.
1: We are not alone. No, what a fun day! We are joined by uh, my friend and my colleague at Wine Access, Pete Holland, who heads up all of our content. So you know, we write original stories, um, five hundred to a thousand words, about every wine that we offer, and really kind of digging into the people, the place, why we love it, things that you can't just Google. Um, and so Pete heads up that that team of writers. He also has a background as a sommelier, and not too shabby of a football career as well. Right, Pete?
2: Right. And that's the real reason I'm here. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I, I guess we better announce the uh, the guest and then I can explain why, <laughs> why why I'm here exactly. So I'll let you go ahead and do that.
0: <laughs> well, of course, we have been dying to get this particular person on the podcast for some time now. In fact, we've got several reviews requesting him i have several messages in our dm inbox on instagram also requesting him and so when we decided to put together an episode on washington state wine i thought hey this is maybe an opportune time to be like could you maybe join us? So we've got Drew Bledsoe, quarterback, one of the greats of all time here from Washington State, born and raised, and also a vintner. Welcome to the show, Drew.
3: Awesome. Thank you guys for having me on. And yeah, thanks for uh, being patient with my ever-changing schedule. I, I, uh, I really wanted to do this and I'm glad that it worked out.
0: Well, I think when we get four people together, especially with schedules as busy as yours and Vanessa's and Pete's, that was probably bound to happen, but <laughs> I'm glad to be doing this. We were just talking before the show that um, you know Vanessa and I actually never really spent any time in Washington. And so that was sort of the impetus mm-hmm. for bringing you guys in because one, obviously, Pete, you, you live in the Pacific Northwest in Oregon and uh, uh, Drew, you've got some experience there too. So we wanted to bring in two very trained professionals on the subject to really dive deep. So thanks for giving us all your knowledge in advance.
1: And we needed Pete here to balance out our lack of football yeah. as
0: well.
1: <laughs> yeah, I need
3: to. I need to know your uh, your football career, Pete. Can that's
2: that's what I wanted to say. Is the real reason I am here <laughs> is because if any kind of football reference came up and it was just Amanda and Vanessa, there would have been like a three <laughs> or four minute silence um, as they maybe Googled whatever Googling, you said. Yeah. So exactly. Right, right. <laughs> that's why I am here. Yes. and I, and I would Good. say Vanessa, Vanessa and I have worked together for what maybe. Five, five plus years. years now, yeah. And I got to say, and and this has not happened yet. But if I knew one person, the most likely to refer to a football player's uniform as his outfit, that would probably <laughs> be <laughs> Vanessa Conlin.
1: That's fair. So that's, that's fair. why
2: I'm here. I, of course, my <laughs> career nothing like yours, Drew. But I played in the Pac-10 too. I played for UCLA.
1: Oh, right uh,
2: maybe five, seven years behind you. So when I was growing right up, growing up, I knew exactly who you were. Um, right. I grew up near Stanford. So I you know, went to a lot of games there and, and saw you play right a on. ton. Um, I don't know a single, I, I know wine. I don't know a single thing about wine that these two ladies don't know.
0: Pete, I'm positive that's not true. There's like, there's definitely some things that you have. You live in Oregon and I don't spend that much time in Oregon. So like I think that we could probably go head to head in some categories. Wine is a very big subject. There's a lot to learn.
3: It's infinite, right? That's been one of the things that's been so cool about being this business is that you yeah, it's it's you can learn about it for the rest of your life and still not know very much. So it's uh that part's been really, really cool about the wine business.
0: Yeah. yeah I absolutely. and you know it, it's been really fun to explore some of these. Um American wine regions. And I have to say, Drew, I I actually didn't really know your wine until I posted a TikTok video on the best celebrity wines out there. And I I posted the first set and I got so many comments from angry people who were like, How dare you not include Doubleback and Bledsoe family wines on this list? Like they're incredible <laughs> right. wines. And so I, I felt terrible. And I was like, Oh, I was like, all right, I guess I guess I better get on it. So I sent you guys a message. And um, I have to say, this is it, sh- it not only should have been on my first list, it should have been at the top of my first list. It's one of not only the best produced celebrity wines out there, it's just one of the best wines out there. And it's definitely one of the mm-hmm. best examples of Washington really? State wines that I've had. We always kick off the show with a few things that are happening in the wine world related to cultural events. And there have been some things happening in the organic space. There's two headlines that I thought were really, really interesting. One of them is Herbicide, the star of a new Napa movie. So there is a new documentary called Children of the Vines. Uh, it is has nothing to do with children. Um, and despite the fact that it is in a Napa setting, it's not actually a wine movie, but a movie that's really centered on organic farming and organic viticulture. Adjacent to that, there's also this article that came out that says champagne producers rebel against environmental reverse. And the summation of this article is basically champagne had agreed to go on this like zero herbicide policy. And now it seems like the region is sort of backtracking. And so there's a group of champagne producers that are that have openly addressed this issue and said we're not a fan of this we think that champagne should be moving towards organic viticulture and in both of these articles that i find very parallel you know they talk about napa green in the first one related to the movie and that you know we're talking about champagne producers moving towards organic in this article and it just seems like more and more it's become the standard for farming in viticulture that organics like needs to not only be the future but like it is the it is it's it's expected at this point, I think, to some degree. Vanessa, I'm curious on your thoughts because I know you spend a lot of time around this subject. What are some of your thoughts around these mm-hmm. two articles?
1: So I agree with you. I think for quality wine, it's expected, right? I think yes, at, at a certain level of mass produce, it's it literally just wouldn't be scalable and financially viable for them. I wish it was for everybody, but um, yeah. I like that the champenois are kind of rallying around this. You know, it seems like the president – it was like the president of the Union de Maison de Champagne spearheaded this and said, we're going to cut out all herbicides by 2025, and then he changed his mind. And then the rest of the the growers, producers are like, no, like, we're on board with this. And so I love that they're sticking to their guns. And I do think, um, you know, can I blind taste if a wine is organic or not, like, no, but I do think that, you know, there's definitely more care. There's more precision viticulture that you have to do. There's more f- actual footsteps in the vineyard that has to happen to farm organically. And I think that does reflect itself in like the soul of wines personally, you know, whether it's organic or biodynamic. So I I'm, I'm thrilled that the, that the Champenois are, are taking this as seriously as they are.
2: Yeah. And I guess, you know, the big question there is, does it, Translate into demand. Mm-hmm. Does the consumer care enough to, you know, pay a little bit more, or in order to make it like financially viable?
3: The thing that that's been striking to us over the over the the course of becoming more estate grown, and we have our own farming company now. We, we've taken all these steps to be live certified and. And um, biodynamic, we have not pursued an organic certification simply because there's some things that we don't agree with, you know. And there there is the marketing component to it where people will pay more, but to us, it's become way different than that. What we're seeing is long term vineyard health benefits, yeah. And mm-hmm. we're seeing, you know, you talk about you talk about uh, you know qualitative differences if you can blind taste and and, and do that. Well, over time, we are seeing quality elevate in the vineyard by taking Mm -hmm. care of the the ecosystem around the vineyard and planting beneficials so that we don't have to, you know, spray uh, pesticides. Mother Nature takes care of it. We bring in the predatory insects that go in and eat the mites and the things that we don't want And um, by, you know, having very uh, purposefully uh, designed cover crops. You know, we get better water retention, we get better health, we get better soil health. You know, and one of the things, and not to go too deep on this, but it's really important to us, you know, we have phylloxera in Washington state now, which, you know, that's the mm. most terrifying word you could, if you own <laughs> yeah. vineyards, that's the most yeah. terrifying word right. that, that you could ever have. But what we're seeing is by uh, maintaining, you know, a natural, healthy ecosystem in the vineyards, this phylloxera um, has been kept at bay. It's not killing vines um, mm-hmm. and the, you know, the vines are healthier. The ecosystem is healthier. I do get, I get a little bit frustrated sometimes when organic is just used as a marketing tool mm-hmm. um, yeah. because we view it so differently than that. We view the, 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 health of these things as a, you know, as a lifetime, you know, uh, goal to create a healthier ecosystem in and around the vineyards. And we think that shows up qualitatively in the bottle down the road. Um, if it didn't, then it'd be a sacrifice, right? But it's, but, but it's not.
0: Didn't you just buy a vineyard in El Amity Hills? You, you purchased the Hopewell vineyard that Mimi Castile and her family had sort of stewarded that, uh, really lean into the regenerative agriculture side of things. So was that one of the reasons that vineyard was so appealing to you?
3: It is, but I've got a funny story for you. Okay. So, (laughs) so Mimi, so Mimi Castile is, uh, she is a thought leader in the, the, the world of, of growing uh, grapevines and really should be a thought leader, you know, in, in agriculture and, and how she she does everything. But we had kind of heard uh, through the grapevine. Uh, is, sorry, bad <laughs> pun, but, uh, uh, but I love it. Um, that that uh, that she would potentially consider selling this vineyard. And so you know, I had researched her, and Josh and I were going to go meet her. And of course, you know, she is you know Mother Earth, dreadlocks and tie dyed, and just uh, you know, and and so if you're going to yeah. put us in. Stereotypical boxes, right? You got big dumb jock <laughs> over here, and then you got you, know, you got you know hippie mother earth chick over here, and so I was like, oh shit! All right, I'm gonna have to be on my game here. And so we pull up. Sure enough, Josh and I park, and she comes walking out, and she's gonna got dreadlocks, and sure enough, she's wearing a tie dyed tank top, and I'm like, oh man, this is <laughs> she's gonna be she's gonna be like pre predisposed to not like me, right? And so I get out and say, hi, hey, Mimi, I'm Drew, and she goes, you know, we've actually met before. I go, really? She goes, Yeah, I was uh, at Tulane. I was a trainer um, at Tulane when you guys were practicing for the Super Bowl there. And I poured you Gatorade every day, and you were actually really nice. And I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> so, you know, like flash forward all these years. And the fact that I was just not an asshole to uh, this little gal that was pouring me Gatorade, uh, you know, helped us uh, actually get that. But Mimi was very, very serious uh a lot of people say that they would only sell to people that will continue their mission she really meant it apparently there was another group that had come through and she she just said to us she was i wouldn't sell it to them at any price um so she really believed in our ability and our desire to continue her mission to uh, be regenerative and the uh and and take care of the vines and and the uh the ecosystem the way that she had and man you talk about qualitative you know uh differences that are really showing the payoff of that. The fruit that we have in the barrel now from that vineyard is absolutely amazing wine. It's some of my favorite Pinot I've ever had.
0: And if anyone doesn't know who Mimi Castile is, I think we talked a little bit about her on the the Oregon episode. We did. Um, Truly, truly one of the great minds and uh, valued additions to the industry. And if you want to learn anything about regenerative agriculture, I encourage you to look up some of the podcasts that she's been on. She's been on a few. Um, I think in particular, Lovey Dalton's. I'll drink to that. Um, really just a, a wealth of knowledge mm-hmm. and a fresh take on farming. You know, really, mm-hmm. really looks at it in a, in a very through a very different lens. I'm really stoked that you guys stashed that vineyard up because it is a really special place. And if you've ever had any of the wines from the Hopewell Vineyard, you know there is something very special. Mm-hmm. Speaking of special, there is a very special thing that is happening In the air, a winery has launched an airline with mid-flight tastings at 18,000 feet. Uh, this is in New Zealand. So sorry if you're listening in the US, you're going to have to fly all the way to New Zealand. This is a really interesting flight that is going from Auckland to Queenstown. It's launching on the 31st of January. It's going to take place overnight. It's the first winery airline to ever take to the skies. Passengers will be doing a guided eight-step wine tasting led by In Vivo co-founders Tim Laybourne and Rob Cameron featuring Sauvignon Blanc, Rosé, Pinot, and more. And In Vivo, if anyone is thinking, like, what's in vivo? When's in vivo? That's the Sarah Jessica Parker wine. So she partnered with Invivos. So this, this raises a couple of questions for me because back in the day, like a year ago, I, I did like a psalm in the sky thing for Wheels Up yeah. via Wine Access. Wine Access is partnered with Wheels Up and they wanted to do this like special thing on a Boeing business jet uh, where they flew flew guests from uh, from South Florida back up to New York over the Thanksgiving Day weekend. And um, they had me come on board and do like a full wine pairing, like sommelier experience. But one of the biggest questions I got, and Vanessa, I don't know if you've ever run into this. I know you don't, you don't drink wine in the sky, but does wine taste different at eighteen thousand Wait, feet? wait,
2: wait. What?
1: I'm a I'm a v- vodka soda on a plane. That's that's a okay. drink. Yeah. Sorry, mm-hmm. I was under the mistaken impression <laughs> that you were
2: some kind of uh, teetotaler <laughs> while traveling, but I should have known better.
1: No, no, <laughs> uh, I just I just don't you know the wine selections are often pretty lacking, so I just right, stick yes. with like a known entity. But I mean, I think we, were you going to bring up that wines taste different at different altitudes, right?
0: Yeah. So so someone had asked me does does wine taste different at different altitudes. I have to say, I didn't notice much of a difference, but I know that there have been several blind tasting studies conducted. And I was curious, you know, through your research, if you had ever come across that. So
1: I, yeah, well, and and I think if I, I'm going to forget which airlines, but some of them actually have like master sommeliers who are selecting their wines now, right? I yeah. think for- for this reason, I think I think you have to be in business or first, but um, to get those selections. But yeah, I I have not um I have not selected wines for for airlines before. But I think what I remember hearing is that like more fruit is better. That they can taste less fruity at mm. high altitude. I may have that exactly opposite, but that's that's kind of what I remember. And so they're kind of looking for those styles of wine.
3: I've heard that just just in general that, that your your uh, taste buds are deadened, and that's why you know all the food you get on airplanes. The food is super salty <laughs> yeah. and the wines mm. are super, super fruity and, and yep. uh, all of that. But, you know, I, what we've what we've done, if we have wine on an airplane, we just ask for a glass of ice and we just throw ice in it because, you know, you get it cold enough and it just, you know, <laughs> yeah. masquerades. It's like if you ever have a, a warm Coors Light, it, it's impossible <laughs> to drink. But if it's cold enough, it's okay. So we just throw yeah. ice in it and it kind of masquerades as acid in this uh, super sweet wine and uh, makes it makes it palatable. But uh, yeah. yeah, it is it is hard to find good wine on an airplane, that's for sure.
2: So if you're in coach, chances are the deadened taste buds, that's a good thing. But if you're in business <laughs> at first yeah, and they okay. actually have some decent wine, then
0: <laughs> right. you kind
2: of wish, you know.
0: I personally have become a master, if you fly American, uh, a master of the AHA Watermelon, with a glass of ice and then some white wine mixed into that, that's my white wine spritzer of choice. It's delicious. Um, I highly recommend it. Nice. If you find yourself nice. in a pinch, like I often do, you know what we need to do? We need to get a wine access jet so we can fly private. That feels uh, yes I'm economical. Men.
3: We can Joe go do Fish. a podcast. We yeah. a podcast in the sky. We'll just fly to you, yeah, Drew. Exactly. We'll just
0: you know, I'll get in the jet. <laughs> we'll all come up. You know, as we as we gear up for this show that we keep talking about doing on for Netflix, you know, I think a jet is inevitable with better wine. And then we can really just put all this together. To so really it's it's research that we're doing, and this is for the good of the people. It's for the good of the people. Someone should subsidize this. Yeah, for sure. Um, we have ideas. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of ideas, I have a great idea. If uh, if you're loving this podcast, I would encourage you to like, subscribe, and review it. It's a it's a great opportunity to do so right before we get into the meat of what we're about to be talking about. Just give a little pause, stop stop the clock, get in there, write a review, tell us who, who you'd like to see because clearly that's working and that's how we got Drew on here today. Um, but if you do re- leave us a review, we might actually read it on the show. And this one is a long one, but it's from Keith L. who said... Fun show with great hosts. And this is like, this is a letter to us, Vanessa. So sit down. Okay. Hello, Amanda and Vanessa. I just want to say I really enjoy listening to your show. The two of you are clearly having fun. And I admit I'm a bit jealous. I can't be there to share a couple of glasses of wine with you. I, too, wish you could be here, but you can join yes. the Wine Access Unfiltered podcast, Wine Club, and drink with us That's virtually, right. which is kind of the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I just listened to your latest show, How to Store, Serve, and Save Your Wine, and I wanted to share one caveat to your dislike of wine refrigerators. In general, I feel the same as you, that anything outside of a Bordeaux bottle doesn't fit well except for wine enthusiast's Bino View line of refrigerators. Oh, okay. This is great to know. Yeah. The system puts the bottles sideways to the door of the fridge instead of front to back. And as, as a result, I can usually get, I can actually get 12 bottles on a shelf reliably. The only issue is I, I, I ever run into is if I try to load an entire side with nothing but Burgundy or Syrah bottles as those get a little crowded due to their increased diameter. Shout out to the Wine Access team. Keep up the good work. And I'm looking forward to your next episode. P.S. I don't have any Epiphany bottles, but two of my Wine Access purchases a 17 pikes riesling and a 2010 mm. latour volnay premier Crew stand out as bottles that i can recall at the drop of a hat keith l we wow. can't thank you enough for taking the time yeah. Nice. did we did we hate on wine refrigerators i don't remember us like i did i did because you i did. I, okay. I yeah because i'm actually well i'm back in my at my parents house now they have two wine fridges and like no wine fits in them it's and like to his point like yeah if you've got bordeaux bottles no problem but if you've got something like what we have today which is this you know beautiful walla walla valley syrah from gramercy that is in a burgundy bottle you're sol there's no there's no chance that you're getting this in there without just ring the label yeah. um so I, I'll look up that wine fridge. That's good to know. I appreciate the feedback on that one. For those of you who are drinking with us via the Wine Access Unfiltered Wine Club, we are drinking Gramercy Cellars 2016 Syrah. Uh, grab that, open that, pour it in a glass. I've got mine in, an, in a. You could do it in a Bordeaux glass or a Burgundy glass. I think we can talk about. that I have in a, a second Burgundy.
2: When I was grabbing a glass, I was I was thinking about you know what is that Syrah like? What does it say about you? Which glass do you choose? You know, I kind of assumed Drew would have a Bordeaux style glass because he's a, you know, in the Cabernet game. He's got a Bordeaux Mm -hmm. glass. All right. Um, Well, Amanda, in in a restaurant, what would you, what would you have used at at press?
0: Um, There are very few exceptions, but I would generally use it. I would generally do a burgundy glass. But sometimes, you know, sometimes you have blends like Arietta, for example, Mm -hmm. does a blend of Syrah and Merlot. And in that case, I would go Bordeaux Bordeaux glass. So I think you could go with either, but... Let's uh, let's put a pin in that and jump into Washington State. So grab your glasses and we'll be right back. All right, everybody, let's talk about Washington State wines. Uh, I want to kick it off with first impressions. Maybe when you first heard about this region producing wine, Drew, I'm going to save you for last. Vanessa, Washington State, hot takes. Any insight when you first heard about it? I think I, you know, um, I thought
1: of Bordeaux varieties but also Riesling uh for Washington oh. state was what that was yeah. kind of how I first came to know wines from Washington state. Um, yeah. Interesting. Also way overdue for a visit. So, um, yeah, need need we'll we'll, we'll take our private jet up there, Amanda, when we
0: get <laughs> it. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, Pete first impressions?
2: So, You know, I I mentioned this to you earlier, Amanda, but the first time I kind of grasped Washington as a wine region, I was going out to the Gorge Amphitheater in in eastern Washington, and I noticed it was among all these vineyards. And it was my first time being anywhere other than Seattle. And it, it really hammered home what I think a lot of people who haven't been to Washington don't know. It's that, you know, rainy Seattle is rainy Seattle, and then the rest is, you know, is hot and dry, like northeast Oregon. And perfect for grape growing. I wasn't into wine at the time, but that was that was when I realized, you know, oh, this is what's going on out there. And then, you know, through the years working in restaurants and stuff, I just, uh, every bottle of Washington wine, a lot of times, I was in Tennessee for a long time, so we didn't get a ton, but fantastic values. You could spend 60 bucks on a Washington wine and it delivered like a $120 Napa bottle in most cases.
0: Yeah. I would agree with that. I think I had a similar revelation, and uh, mine actually has a tie-in to Drew. So when I was working in New York, I was running a wine program at a place called Ristori Georgette, and shout out to Sam Hankin. I don't know if he's listening or still, you know, or in the restaurant industry, but Sam Hankin was from uh, from from Washington area. Uh, and so when I was organizing the wine list, I was looking for some cool stuff. And he said, well, why don't you have any Washington wines in here? And I was like, well, you know, I just, I don't really know much about it. And he was like, here's some, some that you should try. So he introduced me to Figgins, which I'd never heard of. And my distributor's like, yep, they're a little bit allocated. They're a little more expensive. And I was like, Sam... You know, this is expensive going on our list here. Like, do you think that we can move it? And he was like, 100%, I'll help you sell it. And so I tried it and I put it in the list and it was like one of our biggest sellers that we ever had. And I was so taken with Figgins that I really started diving a little deeper into Washington state wines. Drew, I know that you grew up in Washington, so I'm sure you have a lot of takes on Washington and you've seen a lot of changes, but what are just your your some of your general thoughts on Washington as a wine region?
3: I've, yeah, you're right. I, I have a lot of takes. And so I'm just going to try to be con- as concise as i can first of all i grew up next door to chris figgins right so so ah. leonetti which is like, like the original you know yeah. uh, standard bearer for quality in the state of washington uh was leonetti and colcita creek and i was right next door to leonetti and i had no idea like like or, and couldn't care less right you know I mean? mm-hmm. um, that they were good wines i, no, I did not even we didn't even know what they were right like oh. we, we sort of heard this leonetti name but but you know, I graduated high school in 1990, and I think at that point there were five wineries in Walla Walla. Um, mm. But Leonetti was the one that really had put everybody on the map. And then and then it just experienced this explosive growth after that. But for me, my my, my Washington wine uh, epiphany actually happened when I was out in Boston, playing for the Patriots. That's a football team, girls. Um, <laughs> uh, the, Thank you. The, 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 uh, the, uh, um yeah, that's awful. No, I'm completely <laughs> messing with somebody. Um, but anyway,s out out in Boston, and and uh, and there were a lot of us, honestly, you know, on the football team that started to get into wine at the same time. And so we were, you know, drinking all these wines from you know all over the world. Obviously, a lot of Napa stuff. But when guys would come over to the house, they would ask what to bring. I was like, well, just bring a bottle of wine. And so they would bring a bottle of wine, and we would do blind tastings at the house just for fun, and and in a very unscientific way. I think it's just like right, you know three points for first, you know, whatever, but we would do that. And I would always just out of curiosity, more than anything, I would slide something from Washington into the lineup. And every time we did that, the Washington wine would win. Right. So, mm. in, you know, and I wasn't playing for second. I mean, it was Leonetti. It was cool. Creek. It was, you know, yeah. Cole, it was, you know, pepper bridge. I mean, I'm not, we're all competitive, right. Yeah. Would, you know, So I wanted to right. represent for my home, my hometown and my home state. But every time we did that, we would win. And I was like, holy shit, you know, my little hometown is kicking <laughs> ass on these big boys from Napa and from Bordeaux. And I think Damon Hewitt brought some stuff from Argentina one time. And, mm-hmm. and that was really when the light bulb went off for me. And like, man, I got to go back home and see what's going on back there because we're not just making wine. We're making wine that will stand up against the best in the world. And So that's really when the, the, that, that light bulb went off that maybe there was something different happening back in my hometown.
0: What year was that you, that you were doing blind tastings with your team? I feel like this is like before the NBA craze, before any of that stuff. Yeah, we were, yeah, we were yeah. trends.
3: We were, we were very much trendsetters, obviously. Uh, <laughs> that would have been, uh, it would have been late nineties. Um, when wow. we started doing that, probably mm-hmm. like 98, 99. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, we were trying to pretend to be more sophisticated and quit drinking just beer and whiskey all the time. And, mm-hmm. and uh and next thing you know, you, you know, you're all the way down this friggin' wine rabbit hole and next thing you got a cellar and, and then flash forward now you know, you know, you own a winery. Uh, you know, so it's been a deep dark rabbit hole for many years since then. But that was kinda when it started.
0: Well, how did you make that jump? I mean, you went from NFL quarterback to Vintner in your home state. I mean, you can, a lot of people love wine. A lot of people love wine from their home state. Not a lot of people decide to actually get into the industry. So how did you make that transition?
3: There are a lot of really cool things about getting to be a professional athlete. I mean, it's, it's a childhood dream for so many, so many kids and, and it was for me too. Um, and it was awesome. And I, everything about it was, you know, even the hard times were great. But one of the downsides is that, you know, I I played 14 years, it was a long time and I retired and I was 35 years old. And you're like, all right, hey, here, go, you know, go off into the world and figure out. And and a lot of guys, a lot of people have screwed up over the years because you're, you know, you're you're young and you got a couple nickels and and, uh, but you don't really have any guidance. You don't really have any plan, you know, for what happens next. And so I really wanted to make sure that I had something to apply myself to. Um, But, you know, you touched on something, um, Amanda, when you talked about, you know, people got pissed at you for not including us on your your first uh, list of celebrity (laughs) wines and to me that that's that's actually sort of a compliment because we never set out to be a celebrity wine sure and quite honestly you know when we got into the business there were a lot of quote-unquote celebrity wines that were out there that were just not any good you know i mean it was a lot of them were endorsement deals right you know a lot of them were just or they're just hobbies or they're putting their name on somebody's third or fourth label to move some juice. You know, and I know that's how I viewed it as a, as a collector, as a wine consumer, Uh, I I discounted those wines. So we really wanted to make sure that that was not the story. Um, We wanted it to be a very authentic story about a small town kid that, that got to grow up in this little Norman Rockwell painting of a town and then (laughs) got to go off and play football. And then after that came back to start a winery and, and we, we started with dirt. We went out, the kids got their hands dirty. My wife and I got our hands dirty, put vines in the ground. We were mostly in the way when we were doing that because there are people that obviously really <laughs> need to but we yeah. did start with, with a with a piece of dirt with the intent that we were gonna build something real that was based on the you know, the quality of what was in the bottle rather than you know whether or not somebody cares at all about what you used to do. We wanted it to be about what was in the bottle first. Um, that's how the name Double Back came up. By the way, I grew up there, went off and played ball, double back, double back, and came back home. Oh, uh, okay. So, not not a football term.
0: Uh, I first, of uh, sure thought it was a football term that I just was? I never definitely heard.
3: did. I, 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 I knew yeah. you I knew you did. I knew you did. <laughs> but anyway, that's how. That's kind of how that got started, and it it started with started with one wine, and we made six hundred cases that first year, and and it's uh, it's grown into something that's uh, that's pretty meaningful at this point. So it's been pretty cool.
2: The obvious route for for someone leaving a career like yours is is broadcasting, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm just curious. I mean, yes, you loved wine, but you probably Mm -hmm. had enough money to to buy whatever wine you wanted. Was it a, a lifestyle choice? The desire to to want to be back home and and actually, you know, live that kind of rural life yeah. and yeah. throw yourself into something, you know, different than, than yeah. just now talking about football. I, I'm just assuming broadcasting was an option.
3: The broadcasting deal, there were two pieces of that. Number one, it requires a lot of travel. Um, and when I retired, I really did want to actually spend time with my family and they were young at the time. And, and, and I did do that and got to coach all the kids and all that stuff. Um, but the other piece, quite honestly, and this is no disrespect to my friends that have done this, it just didn't seem that interesting to go talk about what I used to do. Mm. It didn't seem hard; it seemed pretty easy, right? And uh, mm-hmm. um, and so, but it was much more intriguing when we got into when we decided to go into the wine business. You know, it was never a hobby. Like this was never going to be a hobby. I wanted to see if we could start from scratch. And actually build a business, and when you when you take that approach to it, every decision that you make is mm-hmm. more important because it's not just an expensive hobby. Like, no, we're trying to make decisions for ten years, twenty years, thirty years down the road uh, to actually build something that can live beyond us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, to me, was like that. That mm-hmm. got my juices flowing. You know, this is something that is hard you know i mean this is going to be difficult it's going to be sleepless nights it's going to be stressful it's going to you know a whole bunch of things we didn't know it was going to be for me that was that was more intriguing than um you know now the the broadcasting thing would be falling off a log easy and they paid pretty good money these days to do that shit but but uh <laughs> but it's really not a bit. but but this was something that i felt like could be you know a life's work and a, and a legacy only mm-hmm. for us but for our family
0: well, I mean, you're clearly doing something right because people are talking about your wine and what you're doing and there's you know, there's also a, a clear understanding, I think, from those who love your wines and support your wines that you are very much involved and that it is a lot of sleepless nights and this is not just a vanity project. Um, yeah. Interestingly, Walla Walla and the region of Washington spans back a little before your time. So I want to talk a little bit about the history of Washington State for a, a brief moment so we can kind of catch everyone up. So. Washington's wines' earliest days actually date back all the way to the 1800s and 1825 when the first grapevines were planted. Uh, pioneer William B. Bridgman planted grapevines in the Yakima Valley in the early 1900s. And then in subsequent years, Dr. Walter Clore, who's recognized as the father of the Washington wine industry, researched what varieties would grow well in Washington. And today the industry is thriving with more than 1,000 wineries and 80 different varieties planted. And of course, I think Vanessa had mentioned... Some of the Rhone varieties, uh, so you've got Syrah, Roussan, Marsan, Riesling, not a Rhone variety, Cabernet. Uh, you've got a lot of different things being planted up there. Um, to me, it's a very interesting region because I don't feel like I have a grasp on, you know, what some of the signifiers are. So I'm curious, Drew. Like, if you were to summarize Washington State wines. In a nutshell, like is there a through line there? Like I think some people would say California, very ripe. Oregon, a little chewy and crunchy. Like, what would you? What do you think? Like the elevator pitch for Washington wines are
3: the elevator pitch for Washington wines. Um, we are at an intersection of new world and old world stylistically. Mm. We've got new world fruit, but we also have old world structure. So if you want the elevator pitch, that that's that's what I would say. Mm. When you talk about the history of Washington, though, it's actually pretty. Good. In a wine geeky way, it's really interesting, yeah. right? And I know we're in a wine geeky world right now, so I'll go ahead and share this. So, yep, so there please. there are um, uh, there are two um, geological events in the northwestern United States that are unprecedented in the history of the world that we've discovered so far. We have the largest lava flows they've ever discovered history of. And that's back, what, three or four billion years ago, mm-hmm. um, all the way from Montana, Idaho, Oregon, Washington, I think parts of Northern California and all the way out into the Pacific. And so we've got this bedrock of volcanic basalt that in some places is, you know, miles thick. Right. And so that's that's bedrock and that's the formation of everything that's underneath. But then during the last ice age, which ended, I don't know what, fifteen twenty thousand 20,000 years ago. Um, there was another event that happened that affected both the Columbia Valley, Walla Walla Valley, and also the Willamette Valley of Oregon. There were uh, ice flows that came down out of uh, Canada and formed what I just, uh, there are other names for it, but I call it Lake Missoula because that's easier for me to remember, but massive lake that formed behind um, this ice dam. And they, they think it was probably every 30 to 40 years, there would be enough pressure behind that ice dam that it would float the ice dam and all that water would come down at one time. And they just happened repeatedly over time.
4: Hmm.
3: But the Columbia River Gorge that now divides Oregon and Washington, they say that the flow rate when those floods happened was the equivalent of 10 times the flow rates of all the world's rivers at one time. Whoa! So you take all the world's rivers at one time and multiply that by 10 and that's how much water was flowing down. So they're the largest floods they've ever discovered evidence of. Wow. Yes. And so what happens in, in, in Walla Walla specifically, when the, the lava flows were happening, it was, it was particularly thick in Walla Walla. It was so heavy that it sunk and created this bathtub, basically this 20-mile-wide bathtub.
4: Mm.
3: When the floods happened, all that water came rushing down and it hit this cliff band outside of Walla Walla uh, before it became the gorge. And when that water hit that, that cliff band, it rushed, it, it like stagnated in our valley and dropped out all this very mineral rich, but very porous soil. And so you bring all of that around. Oh, before I leave the floods, cause this is a dorky, but cool deal. Mm-hmm. Love it. So Walla Walla, Southeastern Washington, uh, uh, Willamette Valley it's five hours by car, right? Where the the ice dam was during the floods, that's another what five or six hours by car from Walla Walla. So you're talking about an 11-hour car ride, just for reference. Mm-hmm. At the new vineyard that we bought, there is this rock that's sitting out in our vineyard that's the size of maybe a small car. Jeez. And they've traced that rock to Mon- to Montana.
0: Oh my gosh! So the floods <laughs> were
3: so dramatic wow. that it hauled this this rock from you know Montana and then deposited it in what used to be Hopewell Vineyard uh, in the Malama Valley of Oregon. So it's just this is really cool shit. I, I you know it's one of those. I wish in college now I'd paid attention in geology class. I didn't know I was going to be a. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I, be a I didn't know I was going to be a I didn't know I was going to be a geology dork. But but in like just in the Walla Walla Valley, our estate vineyards. Um, mcqueen vineyard which is the original one we planted is up very high on this ridge line of fractured volcanic basalt um, down the hill about uh, we're about 300 feet down in elevation and a mile to the uh, to the east we have bob healy vineyard and then at the bottom of the hill uh, we have a vineyard in the rocks district which that's cayuse and rain van and you know uh, you know, all of these, these famous you know, sort of looks like the Rhone Valley. It's just rolled river rocks. Mm. They're all within one mile of each other. But the profile of the fruit is so radically different um, because you have, you know, volcanic basalt and then you have this glacially deposited silt loam and then you have this, uh, you know, riverbed of rolled river rocks all in the same area. So the other thing about Washington is the terroir is very diverse and is very specific. Mm. Even within a very um, you know small area
0: I, I don't think I've ever been more impressed uh, by a guest in my life that you just gave a full dissertation on geology in Washington. Um, so thanks. <laughs> a
3: professor at Whitman College Kevin Pogue and I've heard him give the pre- presentation about like three or four times, so uh, you know footnote Kevin Pogue stolen material. Thing, but, 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 uh, okay, but, good. Thank you, Mr. Yeah, Pogue.
2: Borrowed, yeah.
0: borrowed, and <laughs> great, great memory. Yeah. Then, if you if you borrowed all that, um, there you this go. idea yeah. of like new world kind of coming together with old world is really really interesting because I think as we're drinking this Syrah, there are elements of this that feel very Rhone like, feel very pure, feel very almost like transparent. Um, and this is this is a brightly toned, kind of nervy Syrah. And so when we think about Syrah, I, you know, I think of charcuterie boards and olives and roasted meats. And like, you know, I always to me it's like it's like steak and a wine put together in a glass. Like it's very meaty, it's very olivey, it's very savory. Uh, but you know, depending on where it's grown, it can have a very like sort of nervy, tense feeling. You're going to have like more of this robust, almost like chewy, plummy kind of feel to it, especially if it's grown in California. To me, like as you were saying, new world and old world, I think this really encompasses both, right? And this Gramercy Cellars Syrah has a little bit of these like these northern Rhone elements, and that it's very pure, it's very precise. It feels a little bit angular almost, but there is something like sort of sun kissed and really delicious and like plushy about this wine as well. I'm curious on your thoughts.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, the first thing I noticed, and this was just looking at the label, is that it's 12.5 percent alcohol, which is you yeah, know, if, you, if you like. Um, I mean, I I love Syrah from from everywhere, you know, but. Um, you know you think of stuff from Barossa Valley that can get into the high teens you know alcohol wise or even even some of the big stuff from you know Santa Barbara County um totally but this is um just kind of graceful and and not not overpowering and a lot of that savory character you're talking about it's a 16 it's got a little bottle age now and it's like it's it's very seamless you know it's um it's drinking perfectly right now i think it could you know probably go I don't know, four more years or something, but it's, it's delicious right now. More than four, Mm -hmm.
3: Drew. I think, yeah, I think, I think, I think it'll go a long time. We've had some, we've had some old, some old Gramercy wines. I think they started making wine in 2006. Maybe, oh, maybe, no, actually I think all the way back to 2005. The wines, Mm -hmm. the wines age amazingly well, you know, and I think part of it is just, just, you know, it's everything that you talked about They're, they're, they're balanced wines.
4: Yeah.
0: I think one thing that has always is impressed me about Washington is like, it still sort of flies under the radar, even though like you've, mm-hmm. the region's gotten hundred point scores. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's still, and it's still a relatively young region. And, and just, it surprises yeah. me that more people aren't gravitating towards Washington state wines, but truly, you, you know, as a vendor owner, you know, do you mm-hmm. see that demand increasing your year?
3: Yeah, we do. We do. It's, uh, um, you know, the, the glass is half-full piece of it is that's is that that is tremendous blue sky for us, right? Mm-hmm. It's really funny. You know, if you're in Washington or Oregon, if you go to a restaurant and try to order a California wine, they might bring it to you, but they're not going to be very happy about it. Like, we really defend our own, you know, in the Northwest, but outside of the Northwest, we're still, you know relatively unknown and so we really think that that's a great opportunity you know as an industry going forward to to really open some eyes you know all we have to do really is you know if you we just did it i just did a deal um about a month ago um down in vegas where it was it was washington versus napa and a blind smackdown um you know and it was price on price and you know that went that went quite well for us i bet it did <laughs> so if you can get the wine in the glass you know you can flip people but you're right it's still we're still really young. I mean geez, I think there are 140 wineries in the Walla Walla Valley and I think that there's only one that's currently second generation.
1: Wow. Wow. Every
3: other winery is with you know with it's still in its first generation. So mm-hmm. so we're just we're just kind of getting started and but you're right the qu- on a quality to quality level against uh, you know we don't put a lot of stock, stock in scores, although they've been very nice to us over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when when uh, when you look at you know dollars per points above ninety, you know we're the best in the world by a long shot.
1: So Amanda and I both live in Napa Valley. Obviously, tourism is a huge part of the, um, yeah. the economy here. But what what is it like? You know, do you have a lot of visitors? Like, can yeah. people come and spend a whole day wine tasting, or what could someone expect?
3: Like, if you want to go to Napa Valley 50 years ago, you come to Walla Walla. Okay, cool. Um, You know, the wines are fantastic. Um, The restaurant scene has followed. There are probably seven or eight restaurants now that I would say are, are, you know, really, truly world-class restaurants. Of course, you're going to follow the wine, right? Uh, when I graduated high school, there were zero. We, had, we if we had a big dinner at the end of the school year, we would go to the modern restaurant, which was a Chinese food place. That was as good as it got. <laughs> nice. Now there, now now you've got French bistro, you've got steakhouses, you've got great Italian, you got uh, you know Mediterranean. Side. it's it's really fantastic. But when you drive through town, it's still mostly pickup trucks. Mm. So you can have a, a really uh, a really great wine food uh, vineyard experience. But when you drive in town, it still feels like a little farm town. So it's, it's, it's at a perfect, perfect inflection point right now, you know, where it's, it's, it's fancy enough and there's, and the wine is, is really, really good. Uh, but it's not, it's, but it's not over the top yet. And I hope it won't for a long time. It's, but, but we get a lot of tourists. It's been good. You know, it's, it's, it's been a great economic boon for the, uh, for the city. But, uh, we also just kind of that, you know, now we're, we, we, we kind of want to have sharp elbows a little bit. We don't want it to, we don't want it to change. You know, we want it to, yeah, always be this this beautiful little farm town.
0: I I do want to mention, um, you know, we've been talking about Walla Walla. There are other regions in in Washington State, yes. and actually, Walla Walla is is in the wider Appalachian of Columbia Valley. Um, and then in there, you've got Yakima Valley, you've got Horse Heaven Hills, you've got Red Mountain, Rattlesnake Hills, Ancient Lakes, and then Walla Walla Valley as well, and confusingly walla walla does actually share a share a geographical location with oregon so if you see walla yeah. walla oregon yes. there is also that
3: yeah. yeah it's pretty it's pretty funny our the, the walla walla valley actually dips down into oregon matter of fact the uh, three vineyards i talked about earlier are actually in oregon uh, yeah. which is huh. just uh which is kind of funny just i feel like they've missed the boat on that a little bit but uh yeah. And then, so you got, yeah, Columbia Valley, Walla Walla Valley. And then inside of the Walla Walla Valley, you have the rocks district. And I think there'll soon be another sub sub AVA just to make it more confusing. <laughs> we're trying to catch up with the French and making wine confusing for everybody. <laughs> um, and so we're, we're, we're working hard on Work that. That out for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah right, right.
0: Are there any other producers in, in Washington that you think like deserve a shout out if someone is just getting into the Washington state game that they should be paying attention to?
3: Yeah, for sure. And, and, uh, and this is always dangerous this is like you know saying thank you at like some awards deal because if i leave somebody out (laughs) um but you mentioned you know you mentioned figgins earlier obviously chris is doing a great job and always has Um, he was our so chris was our winemaker for the first seven years and then his protege josh uh took over in 2014 and you know, continued the progression. Uh, so, you know, Figgins and Leonetti, there's another one of my contemporaries that's making very serious wine uh, in Washington state. And that's uh, Damon Heward. He and Dan Marino partnered on a winery called passing time. Mm-hmm. And they, they're, they've got a really cool project where they've got horse heaven Hills, uh, Red Mountain and Walla Walla, and they make specific uh, bottlings from each of those regions with the same wine making techniques, same winemaker, all that stuff. Huh. Uh, so they're doing a great job. That's called passing time. Gramercy, we talked about, um, you know, some of the uh, the icons at the at the at the, uh, the start of the Walla Walla wine industry: Woodward Canyon, Lea Cole, Number Forty One. Um, and Leacol number 41, they're big enough that they're actually more readily available. You, know, you can find them on more lists, mm-hmm. Um, and so they're one I always point to, but even at their production level, they're still making kick-ass juice. Uh, oh geez, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave somebody out, but that's a short list. Um, uh, you know, right across from us, uh, where our winery is in Washington is Rasa, R-A-S-A. Uh, they're making some great juice as well. Um, and then, uh, you know, our resident, uh, roadie, uh, crazy, but crazy, like a Fox genius, Charles Smith, um, is, uh, (laughs) is, is, is making some killer stuff as well.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And this is where I feel like I'd be shirking my responsibility if I didn't speak up, but so Damon Heward and Dan Marino, two quarterbacks, Dan Marino, you know, obviously a hall of famer, um, Damon Heward from Western Washington, right. And played ball for the Washington Huskies. Um, Uh, I played against his brother Brock, who now is a, you, is a yeah. you know a, in broadcasting. But I guess my question is, do you ever give those guys any shit for for having a pun? or a football <laughs> reference in their label, and, and you resisted?
3: Well, I, I do. We're like, oh, passing time. That's, 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 that's cute. And and, and their they're, they're pushback is like, no, we're just passing time drinking wine. That's all we're doing. It's not about football. Sure. But, the, but, then, okay, but, then, sure. but, but then the label looks like, you know, it's got football laces on it. Um, yeah. so of course we have, we, we, we do, we, <laughs> we do a bunch of stuff together and have a Laces ton of fun, so we, but the, uh, yeah, Lace is out, Marino. See, you, you know, there you go. The nice thing, it kind of ties back to our conversation earlier though. The nice thing that, you know, for us is that they're seriously making great wine, right? They, they, they they've got great vineyard sources, a great winemaker. And so, you know, like we, we kind of have to raise each other up a little bit so people don't have this football stigma attached to wine anymore and, and they're doing mm-hmm. a great job.
0: But conversely, do you feel – I feel like it brings a lot of people in that maybe wouldn't normally have been interested, right? Like I think there's a lot of – I think when the wine delivers, it it serves a greater mm-hmm. purpose, right? Especially if there's um, – when there's a name, a name attached. So I, I – yeah. you know, I, I, I get the celebrity thing. I get like, mm-hmm. you know – not wanting to lean on mm. that too much, but I also appreciate like as a, as someone that wants to bring more people into the fold that like, you know, if sure. you were a fan of Dan Marine or just a fan of football that like, you know, this might be interesting to you.
3: Yeah. Let's go, let's go check it out. Right.
2: One thing I was going to ask Drew, cause you know, you were talking about having your tasting group with the, the Patriots and, you know, this is before kind of, you know, social media has, everybody knows what everybody does, right. You know, everybody mm. knows every athlete's hobby and everything, but then you didn't.
3: So who who was in the group when we started to get a little more serious about it? Damon Heward was actually we we were teammates for one year, um, and so we would we would uh, we would do that stuff together. But before that, you know, it was guys like Teddy Bruschi, um, mm-hmm. you know, Bruce Armstrong, and I would drink. He was my left tackle, so of course I was always buying the wine when it was for the guys that were blocking <laughs> for me. Uh, Smart. Uh, let's see, Vrabel was in there uh-huh. uh, late. Uh, uh, before that, we'd, you know, the quarterbacks always would come over, especially the you know the backup quarterbacks always came over because they got free wine. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so, um,
4: <laughs> but
3: uh, you know Zolak and uh, you know John Fries and some of those guys. So it was it was a decent cool. sized group of, of guys that actually really wanted to try to you know drink some good stuff. Cool.
0: Have you sent them your wine?
3: No, they have to buy it. You know, this that no no but what, what, what no what I what I do for my old teammates that um, that do buy wine, if they buy some wine, our magnums now are all uh individually hand numbered. And so if they buy some wine then I send them, then I also send them the magnum with their jersey number on it. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. that's a great nice deal. Cool.
4: Yeah. That's really the nice only, the,
3: the only the only time that got dicey is that with the, the number twelve, bottle number twelve uh, my brother wore number 12, um, in college and, and in high school, and then Tom Brady wears number 12. And so, you know, I'm not going to tell Tom he can't have number 12 and I'm not going <laughs> to tell my brother he can. So there actually are, there actually are two number 12s each vintage, but that, but that's the only one.
0: Well, this has been so much fun. I feel like I've learned so
1: much. I learned so much. honestly, I really did yeah. thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. Yeah. And I, yeah. I feel like I have a whole new understanding of kind of what makes yeah. Washington and what to look for and and what you might find in the glass. so thank you
3: because it's it's actually really meaningful to us. you know when um you know when we talked earlier about organic, biodynamic and and all of that stuff, you know the word sustainability you know in, in our business um, is really important to us. And it's not a marketing deal, right? This, this is something that's really important to us. Um, and it starts with what we talked about earlier about taking care of the physical environment and being responsible with all of our business practices that way. But the thing that honestly, the piece of sustainability that's, that's become uh, even bigger to us over the past few years is around people sustainability. Mm-hmm. Uh, we decided in 2019 that we were no longer going to use, you know, exclusively contract labor. We started our own farming company, which is a big financial commitment. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 we took, you know, we took people that had always been, you know, seasonal laborers, so they work for six, seven, eight months, and then have to figure out how to feed their families. Put them on salary, so they have full time employment. They're the highest paid, you know, crew, and uh, at least that we know of in the Northwest. And for the first time ever, they have. Um, you know, full-time employment, retirement benefits, health benefits, and stability, right? And so that sustainability piece has become so meaningful, but then it also, and this has been kind of the epiphany for me, like with the the health of our vineyards, it's good business. Yeah. These people now care for our vineyards like they own them, and they talk about our vineyards like they're, Mm -hmm. they're our vineyards. They're not the boss's vineyards. They're our vineyards. And so, what we're seeing now is a continued you know elevation of quality across the board with what we're doing by embracing taking care of you know the environment and taking care of our people and and it's it's uh it's something that we're really proud of and it's something that that I think at the end of the day shows up in the glass uh, when you put that much heart and soul into what you're doing.
0: It's and it's so important. I I think um you know we're starting to see a few wineries sort of do something in a, in a similar vein. But I think what you're doing up there, not only to, to champion the region, but also you know do right by the people who are helping you yeah, to do yeah. to to work towards that is mm-hmm. is, uh, is is commendable. So congratulations. I do want to give That's you. Right. A second to uh, to just plug your winery and tell people where they can find it and anything yeah. they need to uh, we know. Yeah, we haven't
3: really talked. We, we haven't really talked about that, have we? Yeah. The <laughs> landing page is uh, is Bledsoe Wine Estates, but if you search Bledsoe Wine, uh, it'll show up. Uh, we have three wineries: Doubleback being the original. That's the best estate grown Cabernet that we can make every single year from our estate vineyards. Then we have uh, Bledsoe Family Winery. A couple of different Cabernet-based wines there, but they're they're priced more accessibly.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And then uh, and then this one, this is Bledsoe McDaniel's. Um, you know, Josh McDaniels, our winemaker has been an absolute rock star for us for a long time. Uh, and that one, uh, uh, it's single vineyard Walla Walla Syrah, and it's also Willamba Valley Pinot Noir. So those are the three wineries. Um, you can find us online. The wine, the uh, double back is is uh, sold out. Uh, the new release will be out in January to our VIPs and then February to everybody else. Uh, and then the other wines, uh, the Bloods and McDaniels Pinot Noir from uh, Mimi's Vineyard that we talked about will be out in, uh, September, October.
0: And on a separate note, just because I am sitting here in Philadelphia and the Eagles do have the best record in the league, would you like to make a Super Bowl prediction?
3: Your birds, your birds are playing very, very well. Uh, and I'm really, <laughs> really happy it. for I'm really happy for Jalen Hurts. His whole his 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 story and his character and just everything about him. I, I'm I'm happy for him a lot. So they're they're going to be hard to beat. Um, the Bills are going to be hard to beat. Those are the obvious ones. Uh, Chiefs are still in there. If you want me to pick a dark horse that maybe could possibly make a run, if the LA Chargers get healthy, um, they could potentially be dangerous. If they, uh, if they get in, um, All right. but they've got to get in first and they've got to get healthy.
0: Well, Drew, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, you guys
3: are, well. you guys are amazing. You guys are amazing. This has been super fun.
0: Really oh, appreciate it. Thank you. This has thank been great. Thank you for being yeah. here. And, and, so much.
3: This is fun. And thanks for the wine.
0: Hey, you're so welcome. Uh, The the pleasure was Gramercy's, so thanks Gramercy. Um, (laughs) Thank you everyone so much for listening. If you are not subscribed to this podcast already, please go ahead and do so. Leave us a review. And then, of course, if you're not a part of the Wine Access Unfiltered podcast, Wine Club, you are missing out. It's time to get in on that. You can find all the things that we talked about along with the link to sign up in the description below. I encourage you to check everything out. and Of of course, please do check out uh, Drew's Wines, Double Back, Bledsoe Family Winery, and Blood So McDaniels. I'm your host, Amanda mccrossin here with Vanessa Conlin. And cheers to good drinking and a brand new year. See you all soon. Cheers.
3: Cheers. Cheers, everybody.
0: Cheers, guys.